Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. We all have stories to tell, and that's what this show is all about. When we tell our stories, we pass along wisdom. We give each other a roadmap, a way to see things in a new way. And before you know it, we're empowered to say, if she can do it, I can do it. The opioid crisis in the United States is shattering the lives of addicts and breaking the hearts of families each and every day. And this story is proof of that. In the spotlight, Kate Genovese. She's a registered nurse and she's an author of many books, including her latest, Hat Tricks from Heaven. She is the mother of Christopher, nicknamed Gino, a son she called her golden boy. Handsome, fun-loving, a gifted athlete who loved playing sports, especially hockey. And he did it so well, he played on traveling teams as a child, was recruited to go to private school, and later became the captain of his Assumption College team. But playing a contact sport like ice hockey also meant getting hurt. And Gino had six surgeries for sports-related injuries. He became addicted to painkillers and later to fentanyl and to heroin. And Gino died of an overdose at only 30. And as we tape this interview, today would have been his birthday. And this wife, mother, and nurse is on a mission to do what she can to use her experience with addiction and the tragic loss of her son to help other families by telling her story and what she has learned along the way. One of the first pages of Hat Tricks from Heaven is an ode to heroin. It reads, I will kidnap you, raise you, then return you to your family so they can bury you. Kate. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks, Candy. Thanks for having me here. Boy, I tell you, I've spent a lot of time with your book. Not only is it a good read, but it's a heartbreak. Mm -hmm. Take me back. Let's paint a picture about Christopher. How did he get the nickname Gio, and what, what was he like as a child? His friends started calling him Gino, oh, maybe in seventh or eighth grade. Everybody did. He was a great kid. He was unlike my other two. He seemed calmer. He seemed very, very focused. He saw his older brother, Dan, play hockey. Dan was a goalie, and he, he wanted to stop playing immediately. We got him skates. We got him on the ice at five. <laughs> oh, jeez. And, and then began the long ride as a yeah, hockey mom, right? Yeah. My husband did a lot of the 5 a.m. practices and all that. You raised your family in Woburn? Yes. And describe the town for our listeners who live all around the world. Woburn's about nine miles north of Boston. We lived in the west side near Lexington. Nice place raising kids? It's a good place to raise kids. It felt pretty safe. It sounds like Gino was truly a gifted hockey player. On the fast track as a child, you've already described how much he loved playing hockey. And so he was recruited to some of those farm teams, those traveling teams, and he got a chance to go around the world. He did. Prior to that, he got a little chubby. And he didn't make one of the teams. And he was so mad at himself. He would go around to all the coaches and ask them if he could practice with their teams, although he wasn't on them. He not only lost a ton of weight, he just became a spectacular player. Got a lot of hat tricks, which is people listening may not know. It's when you get three goals in a game and people throw their hats out in the ice at them. You have been a nurse your entire adult life. What do you love about nursing? I love people. I love listening to their stories. I love taking care of them. 
I love seeing them get well. I was a surgical nurse. You know, there's something good about that, seeing somebody with cancer and their surgery, and they get better, and, and they go home. And that you are, know you've been part of that healing process, yeah. right? Gino was recruited to go to private school and high school, and I know that was a really big decision for him, to live away from home. Talk a little bit about that. He was on this team. One of the coaches said, you know, he's really good. He could go Division One, but he probably shouldn't go to Woburn High. You should think about sending him to private. We talked about it, and he said, well, I'll go see them, but I really love Woburn. I really want to play for them. We went to Nobles, looked around there. We went to Belmont Hill. There's uh, a funny story in the book about how he had to get a, a suit on and get all dressed up to go to his private school admissions yes, meetings. Yes. We ended up going to Governor Dummer. It's a beautiful campus, and I can't say enough about the staff there. They were wonderful, wonderful to him. He went five years there because a lot of times kids coming from public schools go an extra year. He went five years for practically nothing, which was amazing. Very generous school, very generous. Do you think that those five years were formative for him as a hockey player? Do you think he kind of found his way? I mean, he'd always been so good. But do you think he then became hyper-focused on this hockey thing is what I really want? He really did. He really wanted Division One somewhere. He also played football. I encouraged him not to. I said, I think you're here for hockey and academics. I just saw so many injuries. That's when his first injury started. Let's talk about that. There were six injuries and surgeries. What, what happened to him? His first year, he tore uh, a ligament. So he just had a simple arthroscopy. But that was in football. So he was only out for a short time. He healed real fast. The next year, he injured his shoulder. He kept playing, but we took him to the doctors and they said, no, he needs shoulder surgery in order to play. So he missed the rest of the year, which was only like a month left. The following year, he hurt the shoulder again. So now he's 16. This is when I first got worried about a possible addiction because I had a nephew, Casey, who was a couple of years older than Gino, who overdosed and died. So now we've got three injuries so far. Right. And you're already starting to get a little worried about his use of painkillers to control the shoulder pain. When he had the second shoulder surgery, on the way home back to the campus, he said, can you stop at the doctor's? I want to get some more Percocet. And I said, you know, honest to God, I really think you need to go on ibuprofen. You don't need all these narcotics. They're not good for you. He was such a manipulator. He just talked me right into taking him to the doctor. Which is not easy when your mother's a nurse. Yeah. And I had seen so many injuries and, and addictions during the course of my time in nursing. So when we get to the doctors, I explained, it's been a month and I really want him on ibuprofen. And he kind of read me the riot act. He said, you don't know how painful shoulder surgery can be. He needs the Percocet for a little longer. I gave in. We filled the prescription, but I took the prescription bottle and I brought it to the school nurse. That's when I saw this look in his eyes like, you're taking my drugs away from me? Somebody else has to administer them? That's when I first noticed and got a little worried. He did fine the following year, no injuries. And his last year, he had two more injuries. One was his knee because he tore his ACL. Mm -hmm. So that was a biggie. 
It was so devastating watching him because one of the Division One schools was there to watch him. On the day that he tore his ACL. Wow. Yeah. They said to him afterwards, you know what? You need to do one year of junior hockey, which a lot of kids do. Um, my husband and I just looked at him and said, it's over. You're going to keep getting injured. At what point did you realize this kid is addicted to painkillers? Well, he graduated from college, and he, um, he had a really good girlfriend. He had all through college. They were together for 10 years. She said to me, I'm a little worried about his pot smoking. So he said, pot helps my pain. He had a good job with a lumber company, company car, the whole thing right out of mm. college. So he was doing well financially and everything. And he said, I smoke on the weekends. So I had to let it go. I mean, now he's 23 years old. And any time I saw him or he came home for dinner sometimes, he would be fine with us. I kind of put it out of my head a little bit. He had a few different roommates when he was at Governor Dummer. One of them I didn't meet. And he called us up. This was six years after he graduated. He said to us, I was one of Gino's roommates, and I'm taking myself to California because I'm addicted to OxyContin, and I got to get out of here and go to a rehab. He said, the reason I'm calling is Gino's addicted as well, and he also owes me some money, and I need that money. Wow. I was flabbergasted. I didn't know if it yeah. was real or not. Yeah. But my husband's kind of street smart, and so Gary got on the phone, and, and they talked, and he said, okay. We got a problem here. We got a problem. So right then and there, he called Gino up. He said, uh, where are you? And it wasn't in the best part of Worcester. Gary found him. He was sitting in the bar, sipping on a beer and crying his eyes out, just crying. Because his father had found out. He was somewhat relieved. My husband said, you're getting out of here. You're not living here. So that weekend, we packed him up, and we told him he had to come home with us until he was better. We talked about rehab. He said, I can do this on my own. At this point, he was not just using OxyContin, but he hadn't moved on to heroin yet. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Almazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. Did Gino's personality change as the addiction grew and the time grew? Because, you know, you're his mom. Could you tell this is devouring him somehow? I could tell by the look in his eyes when he was going to use again. Because he could stay sober for two weeks, three weeks, maybe a month, and then there was something about him. He would start pacing. His eyes just had this angry look. He'd say, I'm going out for a while, and we wouldn't see him for days. Your book says that he carried a very dark secret. What was that? And can you talk about it? When I had gone back to nursing school, my mom was babysitting for my two older kids. 
we found out when they were teenagers that my brother, who lived with my mom, they were molested by him. My daughter pressed charges. He went to jail. And did Gino have a memory of this? Gino had a memory of this because he, at the time when this happened, he was only 10. We had to get him in counseling. And we're worried, was he molested? Because none of us knew. I mean, it was just not in my consciousness that my brother would do something like that. You know, it just seemed so unreal at times. And maybe there was something in him that was devouring him over that. Yeah. Your daughter, Jessie, tell me about her because you describe her in the book as your quote unquote gift from God. She truly was a gift from God because my husband and I had some issues when we were younger as well with drugs. We were living on the West Coast, and I found out I was pregnant with her. Just having her and seeing her, I I just said, I will never do drugs again. I mean, this kid's too important to me. And your faith, a lifelong comfort for you. Talk about your faith through this whole journey. I was brought up Catholic. I really wasn't getting much out of the Catholic Church, so I moved on, and I go to Grace Chapel in Lexington now, and I'm pretty involved there. I found my true faith for me. It's in God's hands. It's not anything I can do, especially when we found out Gina was molested. As I said in the book, he wrote a story in his writing class, his English class. He pretended it wasn't our family, but it was our family in the story that He shot this person, one bullet for his sister, one bullet for his brother, and one for himself. So that weekend when he came home, we got it out of him. And he wouldn't go any further than to say, yes, Barry did molest me. He talked to a therapist. We got him into therapy right away. That affected his life quite a bit, I think. Let's talk a little bit about Gino at his best. On the ice. Describe him to me. (laughs) You should see the smile on your face right now. Good looking guy. Yeah, he was a handsome kid. So all of a sudden, you know, you'd see him score and he'd look up at his dad and and then we'd look at each other and be really happy. We always taught him not to brag, to be humble about it. You don't go around saying, I got a hat trick. You know, you never do that. People say, good job. You say, thank you very much. I mean, he was just a fast skater, a good skater. So you and I have something in common, and that is that both of our children went to Assumption College in Worcester, Massachusetts, which is a really great community there at Assumption College. Did he have a good time at Assumption College? He was the captain of the hockey team. He had a blast. He lived on campus for two years. He met his girlfriend, Heather, right away. And her family was from Shrewsbury, so he really became part of their family. Her mother, Deb, and I are very good friends. He was receiving some counseling and some treatment for his addiction. And you and your husband, your son and daughter, all thought that he was better. The phone rings one night, Mm -hmm. and you know that it's bad news. Can you take us back to that night? The last thing I saw was... Gino with our dog Frankie. He's a beautiful white golden retriever. And he held up his paw and he waved to us goodbye. <laughs> He's just sitting there waving. And I said, Okay, I will see you tomorrow. But that night he was on house arrest and he had to be in a ten. So Gary got up about, oh, I'd say two thirty three and he went downstairs. Chris was keeled over and he had been dead for hours. Gary called 911 immediately and they worked on him even though it was useless. 
What drugs had he taken? He had taken fentanyl and heroin, and he didn't even shoot it. He snorted it, and he still died. That's how strong fentanyl is. You know, I watch you as you tell this story, and it it wasn't so long ago when this happened, was it? And today would have been his what birthday? 33rd birthday, yeah. So he's been gone for two years? Mm, Two and a half now, yeah. The death of a child can kill a marriage, too. Yeah, it came close. And you and Gary are still going strong, though. Yeah, we are. How can you describe your commitment to one another? We both devoted our lives to our children. So we just work together. We just seem to connect. What has been the lesson here for you, Kate? I wanted to tell the story of Gino, of what a wonderful kid he is. And it doesn't matter where you live, what your zip code is, it's a disease. And it was a bad disease. I realized how sick he was when he gave up Heather because she was the most beautiful girl inside and out. And to give her up, she said to him, it's me or the drugs, Gino. I can't go on like this. He he chose the drugs. I saw a tombstone, Angel of Hope. Can you tell me about that? That's a beautiful thing Couple and Woburn did, the McLeods. Their son, he was drinking. It was a middle of the afternoon, and he was in the pool, and he drowned. He was a great kid, too. He was, he was a little older than Gino. The mother started this Angel of Hope, which is actually all over the United States. Mm. What it represents is any child who died before their parents. Yeah. Do you feel him around you? All the time. How? The morning is the hardest for me when you wake up and you realize he's not there. To this day, I do that. Mm. But it's a little softer now. But Frankie, my dog, was just on the floor, just waiting for me to wake up. I sat up in bed, and I heard him yell, Mom. And Frankie, my dog, heard it too. And of course, he wasn't there. But I could have sworn I heard him. And just little things, I just feel him around. Sometimes I just feel like there's a veil between the living and the dead. Life and death. We all have stories to tell. And when we tell those stories, we pass along our wisdom to others and we give each other what I was talking about in the beginning of the show, a roadmap so that other people can know how to get through some hard times. Mm. What do you say to a mom who's just starting this journey that you somehow have survived, but in the process lost your son? First of all, get yourself to a 12-step program. I went to Al-Anon. A lot of good information there. What is mother love? Can you tell me? Well, mother love is just your heart. It feels like another person is with you. And when he died, the first thing I felt was homesick. My heart ached so bad I wanted to just go home. And where did your strength come from to keep putting one foot in front of the other? Well, I called people from my church. They came over and we all prayed together. My house was just totally full of people. But it was really my faith and my good friends that have faith that he is in a better place. At this moment, at this time in your life, having gone through this great loss, what do you see as your purpose, your hope, your goal with this book? Well, I'd love to make enough money to either contribute or start another halfway house or something for recovery. 
You know, we have helped some people already because there's a foundation between my nephew, Casey, and Gino. I belong to MORE, which is Mass Organization of Addiction Recovery. But that's really my goal. That's what I would like to do, to help people. This opioid situation is a crisis, and it digs deep inside families, no matter how much money they make, no matter what their zip code is, as you said. I want to thank you so much for sharing your story with us on the story behind her success. Oh, thank you, Kenny. Thanks for listening to The Story Behind Her Success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, candyoterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?